Welcome to PTJ Author Interviews. PTJ Editor-in-Chief Alan Jetty talks with authors about the most interesting and sometimes surprising aspects of their work. And now, Dr. Jetty. I want to welcome listeners to this latest PTJ podcast. This is Alan Jetty, Editor-in-Chief of PTJ. And today I'm very pleased to have as my guest Mr. Jonathan Sahai, who is both a Ph.D. and a medical student in the Department of Plastic Reconstructive and Hand Surgery at Erasmus Medical Center in Rotterdam, the Netherlands. Jonathan, welcome. Thank you for having me here, and I'm excited to uh, to have this podcast with you guys. Well, I really enjoyed reading the article that you and your colleagues published in PTJ. Uh, the title, just for our listeners, is Response to Conservative Treatment for Thumb Carpometacarpal Osteoarthritis is Associated with Conversion to Surgery. I'll give a brief summary for our listeners, and then we can talk about a few questions about the, the study, if that's okay. Yes. The objective of this prospective cohort study was to investigate how response to conservative treatment of carpal metacarpal osteoarthritis was associated with the likelihood that patients would convert to surgery. The investigators studied 701 patients who received three months of hand therapy and an orthosis. They measured pain and function at baseline six weeks and three-month follow-up. Conversion to surgery was recorded from clinical records, and in their analytic models, they showed that self-reported pain and function, as well as change in self-reported pain during conservative treatment, was associated with the likelihood of converting to surgery, whereas change in self-reported function was not associated with conversion. So, Jonathan... I really enjoyed the paper. It's a really interesting study. One thing that struck me, in your introduction, you talk about that an indirect goal of conservative treatment of this condition is to avoid surgery. And in your sample of over 700 patients, 15% went on to surgery over two years. Do you know if that is comparable to other data, or is that a unique uh, proportion? I was struck that it was—it's a pretty low proportion who convert. Do you know? Yeah, part of the aim of this study, maybe not this specific article, but of the the whole the bigger picture, was actually to find out like how many patients would convert to surgery after they had conservative treatment. And we found in our clinic that, or like in our population, on our sample, 15% converted to surgery. We uh, ourselves, we at first were also amazed because we thought it would lie more into like 30%, 35%. But yeah, th- th- this is what what came out. We 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 tracked it numerous numerous times, and this is it. And I I believe that part of the reason why it is just 15% is that uh, when patients come to the, the clinic, people get explained, like, we can start first with hand therapy and, and splinting, and we you are, like, try to manage the expectations about the surgery as well. Like, 
uh, we we tell patients that when they would get surgery, that the, the outcome is not necessarily always uh, optimal or best. That there's still a considerable amount of patients after surgery who are not satisfied. So with that knowledge, people can yeah make make their decision or not. Yeah, that's why we we found 15%. The guideline, the Dutch guideline on treatment of carpal metacarpal osteoarthritis advises to start with like at least three months of conservative treatment. And I think the difference in like what you would expect the, the rate of surgery and the actual rate of surgery, which is 15%, is in our protocol, people always get like the the hand therapy, like the intensive hand therapy combined with the splint. And I think in a lot of other countries, people just get the splint or just get some kind of analgesic, but not actually treating part of the problem, yeah. which is like the, the thumb position or the, the weakness in, in, in tenor strength. Well, that, that leads me to another question. In your paper, you noted that about 5% of your original sample, which was over 900 patients, received injections. Is that typical for patients in your country? Uh, again, it struck me as fairly low, and I'm just curious if that's typical or not. Yes, correct. Like five years ago, a guideline was published about this, the, the, the treatment recommendations of, of carpal metacarpal osteoarthritis, and they, they did a literature research about the effectiveness of corticosteroid injections in the treatment of carpal metacarpal osteoarthritis. And actually, there were a couple of randomized controlled trials published in literature where they uh, compared uh, corticosteroid injections with like a placebo injection. And both of them gave the same result. It gave some pain relief in the first couple of months, but in the end, uh, no long-lasting improvement was seen. And therefore, the, the, the guideline do not does not recommend giving steroid injections in these patients, uh, and yeah. therefore the, the rate is 5%. One of the interesting findings, at least from my point of view, was you you saw a significant association between function at a particular point in time and conversion, but no association between change in function. Why do, what do you think is going on there? I, I was surprised by that finding. Yeah, we we thought a lot about this, uh, about the, the potential mechanisms, about why change in function was not related. And a possible explanation is that the main reason patients visit the, the outpatient clinic is a pain. People experience a lot of pain, and therefore they seek help. Also, when you look at the outcome of hand therapy or like after conservative treatment, in three months, people do not really improve in functional outcome, but they did improve in outcome in pain. So since pain is the primary reason people go to the outpatient clinic, and since pain is actually the only one of those two outcomes that significantly and clinically relevantly improved. We believe that's the reason why the change in function was not related to surgery. And so that leads to your other finding 
and that is change in pain was the most important predictor of conversion to therapy, even in comparison to the um, specific level of pain. It was change in pain, which was the most impactful predictor. Is that, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Uh, we found indeed that the change was like the, 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 the stronger predictor for conversion to surgery. And we think the reason is people come to the outpatient clinic, they have years of pain, which is like gradually, it's like a chronic development of, of, of the disease. So they are like quite used to it. Then they get the, the treatment and then they reevaluate their pain. So they get six weeks or three months of treatment and they reevaluate their pain. If the, if the pain got, got better, like way better, they think, oh, this treatment is actually working. I want to continue with this treatment or I'm satisfied with the treatment outcome. I do not want to get operated. When people do not see an improvement in pain or actually a deterioration, they think, I tried this and it did not work. So, and I, I still have the pain. I want to get rid of it. So yeah. then that's the reason why they choose to get operated. So I think whatever treatment is like a game changer. They, it's like flipping a coin. If, if, it, if it works, they think, yeah, it worked. I do not want to have the, uh, the surgery. If not, they think, I, I do not have much more left. I need to get operated. You know, like with all cohort studies, you, you had lost to follow-up. And you did statistical adjustment for that, and, and I understand, and I, I think it was quite appropriate. You make a note in your paper that you believe the loss was fairly random. What gives you confidence that the loss was was random? Yeah, indeed, with, with cohort studies, attrition of data is not preventable. And when we had the data, uh, we did, like, a lot of descriptive analysis, where you, you find you try to find patterns of missingness due to whatever reasons. We there are multiple tests for this. One of these are Little's missing complete at random test. So we performed that test, and on all variables, we did not find significant results indicating that yeah. it was missing at random. On top of that, we did like a responder non-responder test. Uh, which which means that uh, at three months uh, some proportion was missing, and we checked whether the proportion, like the the patients that were missing at three months, if they had different baseline scores. So we did like a like a non-responder analysis, or we could compare these that will fill in the questionnaires with these that would not who did not fill in the questionnaires, and here again. No change was seen between uh, both groups. Well, and that gives you greater confidence in, in your finding. It was interesting to me that your analytic model showed moderate discriminative ability uh, with focusing on pain and function, and, and you note that other variables should be included to improve discrimination. What What, what would be some of the key predictors that you think future research should focus on to improve the predictive ability? Um, 
in the last couple of decades, a lot of research has been conducted about different treatments or different surgical techniques to see what does influence outcome or what can predict outcome. Uh, What a fairly new development in in literature is is actually not necessarily the treatment of carpal metacarpal osteoarthritis, but it's more focused about the patient uh, you are treating. So how is the how is the the whole health of the patient? So with with in, with that regard, I would uh, I I would I mean, is the patient depressed? Does he have a lot of anxiety? How does he cope with pain? Um, when something happens, does he con- does he cat- catastrophize a lot? Um, these like psychological factors. Uh, I believe uh, play a substantial role in the development of pain and also in the outcome after treatment for this uh, for this disease. In, in your clinic, Jonathan, do you monitor those psychological factors as part of routine practice? Um, as of 2000, I think 2018. We started incorporating these um, set of uh, psychological factors in our routine outcome measurements. And one um, study of our group is recently submitted where we, where we uh, studied whether the experienced pain of patients who, who came to the outpatient clinic was associated with their psychological traits. And what we found is that variance in pain was uh, for 40 or to 45% explained by these psychological factors. All the other patient characteristics or radi- radiological classifications, they add up for like 5% of the variance in pain of these patients. Yeah. But when you add these psychological factors, it got all the way up to 45%. Well, I want to thank you and your colleagues for both for publishing your article in PTJ. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and I really appreciate you taking the time to share your work with me and and with our listeners. Thank you. Yes, uh, you're welcome, and I feel honored to have uh, to uh, to be allowed to uh, clarify the findings on our study. And uh, yeah, thank you for that.